Hello and welcome to the New Model Advisor podcast with me, the editor, Will Robbins. Today I'm speaking to Noel Butwell, CEO of Advisor Platforms at the business formerly known as Standard Life. His domain includes platforms, Wrap and Elevate, and national financial advice business, 1825. In the aftermath of Aberdeen Standard's deal to sell its Standard Life brand to Phoenix Group, I caught up with Noel to find out what the future of his business looks like. It's great to have you here. Now, the first thing to talk about is this recent de- Phoenix deal, I think it has to be. Um, now, look, you know, when the original Phoenix deal was announced, I think early 2018, yeah, your yeah. Pre- predecessor, um, uh, I think, sort of, you know, described that uh, standard life business would, would continue to design, market and distribute uh, standard life branded propositions for the life marketplace. So just as a little bit of background um, and it will sort of cover off perhaps how, how you've come into the business. What, what have things been like over the last couple of years? What have sort of advisors got from your business over the last couple of years? Just so that we can kind of tee up what's just check what's what's changed recently. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, just just rewind as you said then, um, Will, back to 2018. So essentially, we sold what was um, Standard Life Assurance Limited to Phoenix, um, and what that effectively meant was we sold the workplace pensions business the retail um, life and pensions business, for want of a better term. Um, But because of the nature of how we'd sort of like established our platform business and also the products on there, it meant that RAPSIP and the onshore bond were also part of that deal. But but as you said, what, what we then, but what we were doing, we were responsible for the marketing and the distribution and importantly also the servicing of those products. So, from an advisor's perspective, um, it was no change really. There was no difference whatsoever in terms of the relationship manager that was responsible for working with them, partnering with them, how we developed the marketing and, uh, and, and equally also how we actually developed the actual solutions and propositions itself. The customer service, the servicing teams remained within Standard Life Aberdeen. Um, so over that three years, it's um, from an advisor's perspective, um, uh, there's, there's been very little impact, if any impact at all, um, and it was uh, exactly as it was prior to the sale, uh, uh, you know, and we continued to invest in the proposition, develop the proposition and also provide the service that, that you know, we've become known for for many years uh, to advisor firms. Um, what, what I suppose then has happened recently, is that yeah. because part of that deal was we also licensed the Standard Life brand. So the Standard Life brand was licensed to Phoenix. So we were both using the Standard Life brand, um, them, them under license, but us under, uh, the, on the basis that we owned it. But I think it's fair to say, Will, that the, the, the line between Standard Life Aberdeen and Phoenix has not always been that easy for clients and customers to, to navigate. Um, so the, the steps that we've taken, so basically what we've done, uh, we've agreed to simplify the strategic partnership that we've got and strengthen that strategic partnership we've got with Phoenix. What that means is Phoenix will acquire uh, the Standard Life brand uh, and they'll continue to invest in that and, and take that forward. <clears throat> we'll purchase Standard Life Aberdeen. What we're going to do is purchase uh, the, the RAP self-invested personal pension that was onto the RAP SIP and also the RAP onshore bond 
businesses back from Phoenix, so they'll come back into Standard Life Aberdeen. And then finally, I suppose the, the key thing as well in that is that we've reinforced that strategic partnership with Phoenix uh, by recommitting to a 10-year uh, strategic asset management uh, position with them. So, you know, it's, it's, it's simplified it significantly. Um, they will take the brand forward as we made reference when we uh, made the announcements a couple of weeks ago. We're, uh, uh, we've initiated a strategic branding review uh, and the outcome of which we'll be sharing uh, later on uh, later on this year, both in terms of what the new brand is, uh, but also, I suppose, more importantly, exciting, what's that new era for our business? Um, and, and obviously, from my perspective, our advisory platform businesses in the UK. Uh, thank you very much. And uh, I mean, how you can't tell me what the, the name of the new brand is going to be, but no, just roughly how far up the rankings is Stabadeen right now? So, <laughs> second choice, third, something like that? I'm not going to be drawn at all, uh, as you would expect. As high as that, is it? Oh, wow. We are going to operate um you know uh, uh with, a, with a with a master brand and yeah. you know we, we oriented to the business stephen bird joined us as our group ceo in the summer of last year became ceo in uh, as, as, as from the first of uh, september quickly reoriented the business around what we term as four vectors of growth investments advisor personal retail savings mm -hmm. and wealth and obviously the strategic investments we've got uh, and so expect those to be effectively taken into the market under one unified brand. Um, but, but as I say, I'm not going to uh, not going to be drawn on what it is at, uh, at the moment. I'll keep guessing. So just 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 to be clear, because thank you, thank you, Noel, because that's a very very complete, and you sort of <laughs> rocketed through a few questions I wanted to ask. That's brilliant. Yeah. Just a couple of things you may have you've said it already, but just to restate. In, you've, you mentioned a few sort of specific products like the, the yeah. Sith and offshore bond that you've taken back from Phoenix, but just in terms of uh, maybe this is too complete. But what just if you get a rough idea? What what sort of th sort of things can an advisor get from your business then now? Oh, those, right. those things or you know yeah yeah yeah. So so I mean, what we we funny enough, it's actually just over a year um, uh, in February of last year where we did a big conference in in London. Um, those were the days, weren't they? And we had circa <laughs> four or five hundred uh, IFAs. Uh, advisory firms there and, and it was at that point that I started to set out the the um, the vision and the ambition that I had for our uh, platform business in the UK and what what, what I suppose we will um, what, on what basis we'll compete on what basis we'll differentiate etc etc um, and I talked about experience very much as being a key area for us and we'll compete going forward on content so both in terms of the tools uh, on the platforms uh, the quality of the MI on the platforms, the reports, the investment solutions, et cetera, and the experience. Um, and I made, a, made four experience commitments at, at, at that, um, uh, at that uh, event, which were, we'll, we, we'll listen and understand, we'll aim to be right first time, we'll provide um, leading uh, functionality, and um, we'll always be, we'll, we'll aim to be right first time. So those, those were the, the four commitments. Um, but really in all of that, the summary of that really will is that, you know, I'm very clear, I want our, our uh, solutions, our platform to be the easiest in the market, the easiest platform for advisors to, to use. Not easy, the easiest. So everything we'll be doing will be focused around how do we make this the most intuitive, easy, uh, rich, functionally rich platform possible. And we've got a big um, development and experience enhancements 
in the summer of this year. So look out for that. We're going to be de delivering quite a significant amount of upgrades, both in terms of the experience, but also, as I said, the content that we have on yeah. the Yes, because I'll, I'll skip ahead a bit because uh, I was watching the presentation and you were talking about, uh, I think it was 50% of the advisor market used the platform in some way. Yeah. And of course, this is true, isn't it? That a platform can often be, um, you know, one of several that are used. I think you sort of use secondary tertiary, you know, and, and you know, and uh, yeah, we see that all the time, of course, uh, for particular client segments, but you'd, you'd like to be the, the primary. I yeah. think you said there's a stat like, if you are primary, you get 70% of gross inflows yeah. for graphs. I thought it was really interesting. Yeah. Um, two key quotes I think you've alluded to there, that the easiest platform for advisors to work with and, yeah. and, and less friction in advisors' <clears throat> internal processes. Now, I thought that that was key. I mean, really, you're talking what you're talking about here is, is really much higher, high integration with advisor back offices, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and I think that's really... Uh, one of the key things because you know um you know we, you know it's something as simple as double keen you know in in a in a in a uh, a market the sophisticated market we operate uh you know in, in the in the age of technology that we are we're still in a situation where advisors are having to rekey information and 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 so we need to remove that that's one of the frictions in in the uh, in the process but Look, coming back to your point, yeah, 70% is if you achieve primary based upon our own data, but also external data, that achieving that primary position is, um, you know, results in on average 70% or more mark share of flows. But, but as you rightly say, most advisor firms do have more than one platform in the business. And the reason for that usually is because based on their individual client needs. So it's what the client need is. So that's why we have wrap and elevate, but um, because they serve different different sorts of clients, more sophisticated investment solutions and more sophisticated um, tax um, um, solutions needed is more likely to be wrap than elevate. And that's why that's why we have both. But look, I mean, if I look further out, I mean, we, my belief and our belief in, and, and what I'm looking at in my business with my team is um, the future of platform and technology is about, you know, enabling mass personalization of services and experience for advice clients and, and but but importantly at scale so how do you do that at scale mm -hmm. so we should be really and I, I mean i'm quite vocal i think we should be challenging ourselves as an industry to get to the position where individual client clients only pay for what they what they need what they value and, and importantly what they consume um, not everything. So, you know, at the moment, we've got a situation where if you work on any platform, you're effectively paying for everything. So how do you, how do you deliver a, a personalised experience um, at scale? And, and that's inspect some of that to come through in the summer of this year. But that's what we're working towards, a situation whereby, you know, um, you know currently platforms are not designed in that way and the prevalence of advisory business having more than one platform is as a result of you've got more than one different type of client need. We're going to provide solutions which allow you to deliver um, on all client needs. And importantly, they only pay for what they, what they, what they consume. Yeah. I think that's very interesting. And they're going to, I think, come back to elements of that later. Yeah. I think there's very obvious, I think here that really we've, 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 we've got over this issue of whether it's okay for a, for a firm to have one platform to go on in platform and still be independent. I mean, that's that's not, I think from sounds from the sounds of it, that's just not gonna be an issue going forward, you know, in terms of the need, 
the need for integration, the need for platforms to deliver on their essential objective, which is to make life easier for advice businesses. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the role of, of, I mean, I talk about them as um, business management technology solutions. So I try not to use the word platform now in, in my business. In fact, I've actually banned it. And the reason I've banned it, um, and it's because A, it forces you to try and think of another descriptor, but B, to try and get our mindset to start thinking about what's the next evolution of the market of client needs, advisor needs, of customer needs, that we then start to think about what it is that we develop and how do we develop it and what needs are we looking to meet. But so I term it as business management technology solutions. And our job really is to provide those solutions to advisors so they can deliver their client value proposition to their clients, their customers. Um, and that's the role we, we do. And so if we can do that in a way that removes friction, takes out cost, takes out risk, um, you know, introduces capacity to the system, as we all know, well, you know, every, you know, we've got a real challenge in the market where, you know, people living longer, not saving enough, the advice gap is massive, anywhere between nine and 20 million people would benefit from advice, they might not term it advice in the same way you and I would. But a big part of that is there's just not enough capacity in the system. So how do we create capacity? So a lot of these experience um, enhancements and how we'll develop what it is that we do and what we take to market will be driven by how do we make advisor firms more efficient, mm -hmm. allowing them to spend more time in front of clients and then you know, uh, delivering more, more advice to more people. Do you have a sort of assets target for, for that platform uh, business and for the, for the advice businesses, advice market businesses as a whole, you know, in line with SLA's you know, 2023 vision? Yeah, my, my, my plan is, so, so, so on a, I mean, I was Fundscape actually, who, um, you, know, uh, uh, you know, the go-to market assessment of, of, you know, the platform market in the UK. I mean, they, they delivered some, developed some uh, forecasting, which showed that on a, on a sort of realistic, I think I'm right quoting this, but on a, a realistic sort of like um, trajectory, yeah. um, the platform market's going to grow by about 12% a year for the next, you know, the next five years. Or was that the optimistic? It was one of the other, but, it, but it's, 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 a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a significant growth. Now, that's not going to be any surprise to anybody. All I would say, and answer your question, because I'm not going to give you an asset number, um, is I want to outperform the market growth. So I'm, I'm always focused on whatever the market grows at, then my plan is to, or my ambition, is to outgrow the market growth. And, and um, you know, and, and then, I'm, then I'm actually sort of like, I believe we're differentiating, we're competing on a different level. Um, now, how we're going to do that, as I said, is, is very much focusing on that point I made earlier about experience and content. We, we are going to deliver, you know, something I think quite, different in the summer of this year um, and then build upon that but the way in which I described that well as I said earlier is we get to a position whereby you know this term mass personalization so how do you deliver and how do you enable and advise a business to, at scale to deliver a very personalized service to each individual client customer of theirs client of theirs um, and, and really that's what we're building so it will be very much about um, individual client and individual customer choice. An individual client and customer would only pay for what they what they actually use. Okay, and um, just one question. I suppose a sort of obvious question, I suppose. But in terms of you know achieving that in the next few years, twenty twenty one now, and you've just had it. You just had a massive um, you know deal announced. 
you know, how, how are you going to sort of achieve that with all this upheaval going on? That's been quite difficult to manage, presumably. Yeah, well, we've, we've got, I mean, I've got, we've got a great team, um, you know, a development team, we've got a great development team within the business. We've got a great relationship with FNZ, um, you know, so our, our key um, external technology supplier. We've been working on, on what we're going to deliver in, in um, the summer of this year for the last three years. Um, and once we have that foundation, actually building on top of that, um, my, my development team wouldn't thank me for saying this, but I think is a bit easier. It makes it easier because you've got the foundations in place. Um, now, it requires quite a lot of work, but I think I, I'd like to like to think that, well, you know, if we were speaking, um, you know, sort of this time next year, you would be seeing something very, very different in terms of uh, our solutions than what they are today. Now, what we've, what we've got today, I think is very good. Um, you know, we're, we're still the number one advised platform business in the UK by assets and gross flows, um, but we want to build on that. And as I said, I want to outperform, outperform the market. And I believe that providing that much more personalized uh, client and customer experience uh, is what's going to make the difference. So. That, that's that's what you can expect from us over the next 12 months a lot of work a lot of hard work but yeah. um, i think from a, from a, you know i i was uh i asked one of my colleagues who knows platforms better than me but he was you mentioned to ask about back-end ele elevate migration is that i think this is what you're a part of what you're talking about in terms of back the backs back uh, behind the scenes is yeah. is that is uh, the wrap and getting the wrap and, and elevate on the same on the same technology that's 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 what that's about yeah. isn't so it so basically in the summer this year we moved to the, the a single instance of the fnz core technology yeah um and that's all on track and that's all all planned to be delivered in in, in the summer of this year at, at the same time we'll be delivering these enhancements that i made reference to advisor portals improve reporting etc etc um but also, as I say, the actual sort of solutions and propositions themselves. So, um, yeah, that, that's that's effectively what your colleagues referring to. Okay. That, yeah. and, how, and how's that? How, that's going. Yep. Yeah. All on track. All on track. Yeah. No. All on within track. Within budget. Yeah. Yeah. Within budget. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Very much so. The presentation. I've obviously been reading the presentation, but you know, talked about I think growth of. Advisor market growth or advisor or growth in sorry in your business of seven to eight percent by uh, is this right by twenty twenty three you can you can make sure I've got that right um, just explain what the targets are and, and how you're going to achieve them in, in terms of growth you've alluded to it a little bit through the platform but um, perhaps talking about I suppose I'm talking about your advice proposition your, your, rather than the platform it, uh, itself talking about your own advice businesses there. Yeah, you know, talking about, about growth in your own advice business, how are you going to achieve that? Well, we've, um, so we've got, as you know, um, 1825, which is our financial planning business, which has obviously grown as a result of inorganic growth over the last five or six years. We've now got around 120 advisors, um, you know, circa five and a half billion um, of, of, of customer client assets. And um, we've, uh, we made quite a significant acquisition in Grant Thornton's Wealth Advisory business. And so we've been integrating that into the business. And now we're in, in a position where we've got a, we've got a, you know, what I would term as a significant sized advice business. You know, so, so, so two things really, I suppose, coming back to your, your question is, again, you know, the, the, we developed a, a digital retirement advice uh, proposition um, as part of the 1825 uh, business. And, and what that effectively is, it's a hybrid. 
So it's it's digital and telephony. Um, you could argue we've done the most difficult bit first because it's at retirement rather than that accumulation phase, which we're, we're working on at the moment, but it's live and it's working and people can go onto the website. You can upload information. You can go on a, a, a customer journey and, a, a, and then book, a, book a, a, an appointment with a chartered financial planner, um, have a conversation and go in and out of that journey digitally, telephony, however you want. And that's all about creating capacity. That's all about, you know, offering um, advice to more people. And I think that's the key. So we, we will still have, you know, a full financial planning face-to-face -face capability. We'll have a hybrid, which we've already got, which is digital and telephony, and have digital only. And we've got choices um, by uh, Choices Goes Live this week. Um, and what choices is our open banking app, uh, which has got a, 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 an online D2C ISA. So you can go on an ISA journey through, through choices. So I think the key really will, to answer your question, is that you have to develop that waterfront of, um, you know, sort of for clients to, to interact with you, irrespective of affluence, because as we know, people will be will feel confident to do things themselves, so they'll be very happy to do it digitally, but there'll be sometimes also that they want um, a long-term trusted relationship with a, with a professional financial advisor, and, and we'll offer that as well, and we'll do that both from our own financial planning business, but also by supporting advisors with our technology solutions in, in the advisor advisor business as well. So I think something else that sort of CEO Stephen Bird said was that there's a sort of, you know, you've got, he wanted to move to a, a place where the offer is, I think, you know, client centric, of course, and not based around, I think the word he used was something like historic advice uh, um, uh, business modules or pro propositions. So basically basing the business, not around what we've got or what we've bought, yeah. What, what what is needed and it sounds like there's a bit of you know that happens with an acquiring organization <laughs> that happens you pick up all sorts of stuff yeah. over the years um and especially when you've been acquiring as you say advice businesses they, they come with a lot of um baggage for a lot you know what's a better word and, and things but but you know look explain to me how what that, there's going to be a tra bit of transition there it sounds like quite a significant transition actually the idea of um i think the word was used a modular yeah. Uh, proposition you alluded to as well just explain to me what what changes there because it sounds yeah. a little bit radical yeah. yeah a modular approach is is pretty much recognizing that point i made earlier which is you know sort of um it, it, it's 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 more driven by how people i'll use the word want to consume services want to consume and buy products or you know and services is, is advice from you know execution only at one end right through to a, a highly um, you know, sort of sophisticated private client relationship at the other end. So you'd have execution only, you'll have guidance, you'll have financial planning, and you'll have, you know, sort of like a, a, more of a bespoke, um, highly sophisticated private client sort of approach, you know, uh, at the other end. And so the modular approach is really about ex as, 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 as um, clients enter the business, come into our business based on what their needs are at any particular time. They they could they can pick a mix, but the key bit really is uh, well in all of that is the seamless movement from one to the other. One of the biggest challenges when you, when you acquire things is that you know if they're all on different technologies, their ability the terms and conditions are all different for one, which prevents your ability to have that seamless effortless movement from one service to another. So the modular approach will exist, but it's how do you move through those. Um, during the life, life saving cycle, you know, you can start off, you know, saving quite simply into an ISA. And then as you, as you, as you 
you know, um, you live your life and you require more, um, you know, different, different, your requirements change rather, and you require different services. How do you move seamlessly and effortlessly between one service and another, either forwards or back or whatever it is? So that's really what the module, module approach is. You've got the modules, but it's more about how you move between them and how you move and how they live with you through your life. That's, that's, that's the plan and that's what we're working on. Does that mean a little stepping away from the acquisition of traditional financial planning businesses uh, to pursue some of this other stuff and technology? Um, you know, or, or will you continue to, to look for those? I mean, especially in an environment where there are a lot of other businesses, the markets are washed with private equity money right now, trying to go after the same thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it, the, the way in which I describe it is, you know, um, high tech and high touch. So technology has a, you know, a significant role to play in terms of delivering advice and services at scale, irrespective of whether that's full, full financial planning or obviously execution only. And, and we'll provide both. So we'll have both. So high touch, high tech. Um, you know, look, if, if the right if the right opportunity came along for us to accelerate our strategy or if there were capabilities that we felt that we didn't have that we needed, um, then absolutely um, acquisition still remains a focus. Where we are at the moment is, as I said, we've we've integrated um, quite a big acquisition in Grant Thornton. We're mm -hmm. now developing the broader strategy in order to take that into the market. Um, you know, and that, that's that's really what our focus is currently. But look, you know, I, I would never rule out any other acquisitions going forward. Wise words. One of the things, you know, we, we all, perennial things we talk about is GARS, I think referred to as a hero fund somewhere in, in, the, in the report. Yeah. Um, and uh, I know that, you know, that there are other popular um, propositions that you're offered, like, like my folio. But just explain to me, just talk me through the investment proposition a little bit. Um, and, you know, I mean, GARS, you know, especially, I mean, is that, is that, has there been, a, an, was there an over-reliance of that in, in the business? And, and is there, have you sort of been briefed to sort of not rely on that so much with what your, the sort of, you know, the various things that you do with, with the 1825 and, and other things in the, the art advice market? Yeah, yeah. So I think, um, look, I mean, we've, 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 we've got, GARS was very, very popular. Um, you know, great, great performance and, and very, very popular and grew, um, uh, grew significantly and, and, and very quickly. Um, uh, you know, Stephen referred to it as, you know, an over-reliance on what were hero funds, which is what you made reference to. And you yeah. could argue the same with, with um, global emerging markets as, as, as well. Mm. And, and if nothing else, I think it demonstrates the need for diversity, really, is that, you know, the business... Um, you know, sort of grew and benefited. And, 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 you know, that's not to say that, I mean, actually, if you look at GAR's performance in particular over the last two or three years, is has been, has been really improved um, because obviously it did, you know, we did have some performance issues, but Americk Forrest and his team have really turned that around and actually um, the performance of, of, of GAR's has been really good over the last few years. We, we, we still use GAR's. Uh, it, it's, it's used in our lower risk um, portfolios is one of four absolute return strategies that, that's used um, and, and that again that provides that diversification for, for lower, lower risk clients. Um, our core investment solution um, is the 1825 portfolios, um, the MPS solutions and they're managed by Aberdeen Standard Capital. Um, we also still recommend 
uh, MyFolio solutions for particular client needs, uh, as you would expect. And, and a good example is controlling the creation of CGT gains, um, that sort of thing, really. But and then, and then we've also got, you know, uh, a, a panel of, you know, sort of uh, what I'd term as, you know, VCTs, EIS, tax advantage solutions, and, and, and a panel of DFMs also within this. So it's, it's quite a broad range, but we still have, you know, uh, uh, access to um, our own in-house capabilities via ASI as well. You know, um, mm. so. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it's just making sure we've got the right level of diversification. The key thing in all of it, and I'm obviously bound, not bound to say this, Will, you know, it's based upon the client needs and the client's attitude to risk. And at the end of the day, an advice business is a client-led business. And therefore you have to make sure that you're putting in place uh, and suitability is, is key in terms of, in terms of the individual's um, own personal circumstances. Are you, just very quickly, I mean, you mentioned my still using my failure. I mean, I know my failure has been very popular. Is that has that been a sort of has there been a sort of less of a concentration on that as well? Maybe yeah, no, no. That still remains to be. I mean, my folio is still a, a you know a, a, a key a key part of of our overall proposition. Um, you know, still used extensively within the advisor market, as well as using it ourselves within our own uh, in house. Uh, advice businesses and also our digital journeys as well it's still a great proposition um that, that that is still very 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 widely used by by the market great i've got i think probably just two more questions is that okay. um uh one, one was about esg tell me tell me you know well you meant you know what one of the things that you know uh in terms of improving capabilities that was mentioned i think wealth transfer digital solutions and esg solutions especially esg solutions was, was talked about but in the report but you know that's something i'd naturally ask you about anyway you know in terms of investments in terms of say you know under the saving how say uh, people's savings are being invested you know how are you ensuring that that is happening sustainably and and what meaningful commitments are you making or have you made or will you make in that regard yeah, so I think it's quite, again, I saw another remarkable stat. I can't think of the source off the top of my head, but I think it was 2015, 15% of global assets were ESG driven, and it was projected to be 50% by 2025. Incredible. Mm -hmm. now, um, I'll get the source for you of that, uh, Will. Um, so, so you know that that is a significant shift, and so you know and that's re rep reflective, representative of society, in, 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 you know, at, at large. I think there's two things really here. There's one: there's ESG-driven investment strategies, and then there's also ESG-driven corporates as well. And I think the platform has got an opportunity, particularly, to look at both, to offer both, both in terms of a real look through. So, how do we provide for advisor firms? A look through ESG funds into the underlying content and then secondly the provider of ESG driven funds how, how, how well assessed are they in terms of their ESG core credentials and that's quite an interesting one so actually rating the asset management business uh, as well as the actual funds themselves and that's certainly something that I think is a development that we'll be looking at around how do we provide that real transparency because you're responding to a requirement in the market. Um, the growth and the focus and the importance of ESG is such that, that you've got to respond to that. Um, yeah. and that's ultimately what, what, what we'll do. As, as an asset management business, we've got a long um, history of, of you know, sort of uh, 
ethical investment funds through to ESG driven funds. And, and, and our focus will be completely around how do we build more ESG DNA, not only into how do we develop investment content, but the, but the business more broadly. How does ESG become part of our DNA as a business in its entirety, both how we actually run the business, but also the products, services, and solutions that we deliver to clients as well. I had a question, which is a slightly, slightly glib question, that I, like how many people would be moving from the standard life office to Phoenix? Because I believe they're just down the road. Yeah. Really underlying that is, is, the, is the sort of advisors' concerns about servicing that, uh, that, they, that they have. I mean, it's the big thing that comes up when any deal like this is announced. Yeah. Thing. Well, that's it. The, you know, the, 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 the comments are, oh, God, you know, here we go. You know, this is going to be, I'm never going to get an answer. It's going to be terrible. And who knows? So, you know, what kind of, what, what can you say sort of to, to advisors who are kind of concerned about that? And what kind of, you know, what are the sort of detail, I suppose, in terms of... So, you know, so the, I think it's like, yeah, uh, yeah. good. Good, good question. So in terms of the advisor business then, really, because this is what we're talking about, i.e. Yeah. the platform, we've all, even, even since we sold Standard Life Assurance Limited to Phoenix three years ago, we still, we still continue to do all the servicing uh, and we will continue to do all the servicing. So everything that, that, that uh, we did previously um, before this announcement two weeks ago is, is continuous. So there's no change there. What, what, what changes? There are some colleagues... Um, from our marketing teams that will be two paid across to, to Phoenix and some a small group of distribution team that move across as well for the products that remain within Phoenix under that standard life band, such as Workplace, as we mentioned, such as our retail SIP. But, but they've been, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> they've been um, the service proposition, is, and as you rightly say, that's the area that is always and right, so a big focus of advisors has been in Phoenix for the last three years and, and the service standards that we had as a business when we have, uh, uh, have been maintained. Um, I know that they've got real real um, uh, uh, plans to, to grow that business. So unlike previous businesses that Phoenix had bought, which are closed books, these are open books though. And, and that will, that will only, um, only happen if they provide the level of service that advisors expect. So I think from our perspective, no change, exactly as is. You know, as I said, advisors won't, won't experience anything different than what they have done for the last three years going forward on a servicing front. Um, so, from that perspective, it, it's 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 um, there's no there's no real change for them at all. Right, and uh, and just last question because I sort of mentioned that I, I'd ask you, but is you know where where will where do you think the advice market will be in in five years time? I hope I hope. Um, where do I think it will be in the next in five years' time? I think we will start to see the the emergence of bigger and bigger advice brands. I mean, you know, we look into the market every day, and the level of you, you mentioned private equity investment, the consolidation that's taking place. So we'll start to see the emergence of, of, of much bigger brands than some that we've got today. So I think that that's um, that's a good thing. I think if it means that we uh, create more capacity. It's a good thing if we are seeing uh, more people get access to advice or information. That, that's the key thing. And I think really, you know, I, I, I think, um, you know, whatever happens, if we, can, if we can create more capacity and allow more people to get advice in a way that they want it, at a time that they want it, then that'll be a real positive. Um, and, so, and certainly that's, that's what 
my focus is that my business that you know the, the team that, uh, that that work with me is we're all about creating more capacity so more people can work with advisor firms and and, and or directly with us and get advice so um but i think i think we need to get more people we need to get more in, into the market into the industry to, to really so, to fulfill that as well as obviously the use of technology brilliant well i'll leave it there i'm almost that out of time anyway so uh so noel thank thanks very much that's an absolute pleasure thanks very much for your time well i really really appreciate the opportunity to speak to you and uh thanks for thanks very much for the questions hopefully um uh, the, the answers were as good as the questions <laughs>